Hey, as we start the message today, I wanted to start out by talking about an experience that I know I've had in 2020. Maybe you've had. Uh, I, there has been so many moments this year, maybe more than a normal year, when I've, I've just found myself overwhelmed with emotions. And so I wonder for you, are, are you a crier or are you uh, not really a crier, you know? If you're watching in a watch party, maybe let people know. If you're on Facebook or YouTube, put it in the chat, I'm a crier or I never cry. Um, if, if you can remember the last time you cried and it was a year that started with a one and not a two, you are not a crier. But for me, I, I tend to be somebody who is more of a crier. And uh, there are certain things that always make me cry. And one of those things is sports movies. Like I always end up crying in sports movies. We're introducing our kids to some of the movies we grew up in in our house. And uh, a couple weeks ago, we watched Cool Runnings. And you might say, Scott, you laughed, you, you cried during Cool Runnings? I did. That scene where they lift up the, the bobsled and they carry it across the finish line. I mean, it was, maybe it was the fan, but I was just, you know, I was crying. And then in Mighty Ducks, you know, when Charlie makes the shot that Emilio Estevez missed when he was a little kid, oh man, that just totally got to me. And there are so many times in Remember the Titans that I cry. I mean, I, I hear that song at the very end when they're standing in the, the graveyard. I mean, it's just, I'm a mess. Now, my wife, on the other hand, is not as much of a crier as I am. She cries, but I tend to be somebody who cries more, or maybe I just felt, I feel like I've cried more in 2020. And one of the first times I can remember uh, my wife being overwhelmed with emotion was when we went to Zambia for the very first time in 2011. Uh, we went there to work with our friends at Northrise University in Andola, Zambia. Uh, Northrise is located about an hour from our partners here at Cornerstone in Kitway at the Sarah Rose Foundation. And, uh, and so we were there serving. I was teaching with the university. Danny was working in the community. And at the end of that week, I found Danny in the, the area where we ate. And she, I could tell that she was emotional. She'd been crying. And I said, hey, what's going on? Typically, I don't see my, my wife in that state. And she said, well, you know, Joyce came in and she, she prayed for me. Joyce is this woman here in the right. She's kind of in the shadows, but she was a graduate of Northrise University. And she'd gone on to start a school in a very impoverished area and was reaching children who were coming out of very abusive homes. And she was working with the women in those homes who were victims of abuse. Joyce is an amazing woman. And so Joyce had come in and prayed over Danny, and Danny was just overwhelmed with emotion at, at the words and the, the feeling that she had of God's presence in that moment as somebody, Joyce, prayed for her. Maybe you've had that experience where somebody's prayed for you before, and you just, you couldn't hold it together. You were overwhelmed. I'll never forget what my wife said in that moment, talking about having Joyce pray over her during our first time in Zambia. Danny said this. She said, there's something different about the way they pray here. There's just something different about the way they pray. As we started discussing this both in Zambia and then as we returned, and as I remembered interactions I had in college with a, a pastor who was in my program there who was from Liberia, and as I've been, been back to Zambia since then, I've, I've recognized that there is something different about the way our brothers and sisters pray there. And the difference is power. So many times when I've been prayed for by my Zambian brothers and sisters, there is a power in their prayer that feels different than the power in mine. 
And as I've been thinking about that this week, as we get ready to conclude our series in James, the question that I've been wrestling with is this. What if we've been missing the power of prayer? What if we've been missing and underestimating the power of prayer? And as a result, we are seeing the impact of that. As I said earlier in ministry highlights, we're wrapping up a series today in the book of James. We've been in James since the end of May. So it's been a while. If you've been with us, we're, we're now in our fourth section of a month uh, that we've been in James. And today is the last day. And James ends his book in an unexpected place talking about prayer. If you've missed any of these messages, we encourage you to go on our website to the sermon section and check them out. But today, James lands the plane in his book by talking about prayer. And here's the central or big idea, that we underestimate the power of prayer. I believe that what James is trying to say to his audience, what he'd be saying to us if he'd written this letter to us with our unique context, what what God convicted me of this week, is that we underestimate the power of prayer. And as a result, our prayers lack the power that they are capable of having. Now, I want to encourage you that there's some of you who, who may be tempted right now to tune out. You go, man, another sermon on prayer, uh, you know. If you're tempted to tune out right now, you are the exact person who needs this message. Because if you don't think you need another sermon on prayer, my guess is that you're underestimating the power of prayer yourself. And I want to encourage you to give me the next 25 minutes to share with you from God's word about why and what could be possible if you took prayer seriously. So if you have a Bible, open up to James chapter 5. After this week, I'll move the bookmark in my Bible to a new place. But today, we're going to be here in James chapter 5, the final eight verses. And so if you're watching at home or you're watching in a watch party, I'm going to encourage you to stand as we read God's word. If you're driving, please keep your eyes on the road and do not stand. Just listen along. James 5, 13 says this, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to another." And pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Heavenly Father, we are open and we ask you to speak through your word today in our midst. And God, may my words and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. 
Now, from those eight verses at the end of James 5, I think we have today five final reminders about prayer. And I'll be honest, as I was preparing this series, I did not expect to end this series on wisdom and living wisely by talking about prayer. But that's where James takes us. It's where we have to go. And I think there's some things here that may be reminders for you that you need to tune back into, or they may be new lessons that you need to tune into for the very first time. And here's the first one. Prayer and praise turn us from self-sufficiency and towards God dependency. Now, I know some of you who are following along with the notes on our website go, Scott, these are different. Yes, we changed them at the last minute. And for you type A people like me, I'm sorry, it's not going to fit perfectly in the blanks. But the first reminder James gives us is that prayer and praise turn us from self-sufficiency and towards God dependency. Here's how James does this. He says this in verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Now you might think, Scott, that sounds pretty elementary, pretty simple. If you're suffering, going through adversity, pray. And if you're cheerful, praise. Okay, Scott, we can move on. It's pretty simple. And while on the surface, James 5.13 might seem incredibly simple, many of us, myself included, tend to trip up in this area. And let me illustrate this for you. All of us have places in our lives where, where we're suffering or going through adversity, and all of us can remember, if not right now, a time in the past where we felt cheerful, where we felt like God was working in our life, where we felt God's blessing. And, and when there is an affliction— And when there is a blessing, we do have the opportunity to pray and take that affliction to God. We do have an opportunity in a season of blessing to praise God for that. But that is not the only option. When we are going through affliction, we also have the opportunity to turn in the other direction and go towards self-sufficiency. So many times for me, when something bad happens, my first response is not prayer. My first response is, okay, how do I figure this out? How do I fix this? How do I solve this? It's happened to me again and again in 2020. I get some piece of bad news, some change, and my first thought isn't, okay, I need to stop and pray first. My first thought is, how can I fix this? Self-sufficiency. And then many times when a blessing comes in our life, when we are cheerful and joyful because of what's happening, our first thought isn't, before I do anything else, let me stop and praise God who is the source of this. So often when we experience that blessing, we go, you know, I worked so hard for this. I'm so glad I worked so hard for this. And we see this in the life of people who are not followers of Jesus and people who are, that affliction and blessing don't have to drive us to a relationship with God, but that they can drive us deeper into self-sufficiency. And what James is saying to us, he's saying, hey, if you're going through something hard, pray. Choose to turn from yourself and to God. And if you are experiencing cheerfulness or blessing or joy, turn to God and thank him for that in your life. Otherwise, if you don't turn this way, you will turn that way. And what we see over and over again in the scriptures is that the path to spiritual maturity leads us away from self-sufficiency. 
If you want to become more spiritually mature, I don't know all the things that are included, but I do know what that's going to move you away from. That path, once you go in the direction of spiritual maturity, you're going to have to leave self-sufficiency behind. It's one of the reasons why we're so passionate about community at Cornerstone, why we're so passionate about seeing every single person in our church in a small group of people who are doing life together, because none of us, myself included, can become spiritually mature in self-sufficiency. We not only need to be dependent upon God, but we need each other. And so if you're saying, I want to grow this year, I want God to work in my life, the one thing you need to be aware of is that you're going to have to leave self-sufficiency behind. So James's first reminder is that prayer and praise, they move us away from self-sufficiency and they move us towards God dependency. That's the first reminder. Second reminder is this. Prayer has the power to transform the weak. Prayer has the power to transform the weak. Weak is the blank there if you're taking notes. In James 5, 14, this is what James says. Is anyone among you sick? Now, I bolded the word sick because we're going to come back to that. Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Again, bolded. We're going to come back to that. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, the reason why I bolded in both of those verses the word sick is that this passage is the subject of not a small amount of debate. It's a lot of debate has happened around these two verses and what it means. Some people, when reading these verses and some sections of the church say that if you have enough faith and you pray with enough faith, that when someone is sick physically, they're ill, that that prayer with enough faith will heal them every time. Some people have read these verses and come under the, under, the, under the conviction or the belief that there is no need for medicine, there is no need for doctors, all we need is bold, faith-filled prayers. But what's interesting is what the text actually says. Not what we think it means, but what it actually says. In verse 14, the first instance of the word sick, that word is asthenai in Greek. Again, because this was originally written in Greek. It wasn't written in English. In Greek, it's the word asthenai, which means to be weak. So in verse 14, where James talks about if any of you is sick, he says, he really, really means is, is any of you weak? And yes, when I'm sick, I'm weak. But there are other times where I am not sick and I am weak. And so he's, he has this broad definition there. That's the first instance of the word sick. In verse 15, we see sick again. And in that instance, it's not asthenai, it's komnanta, which means to be weary. And so what James is saying here is he's not just speaking to those who are physically ill. He is speaking about those who are weak and weary. And suddenly I have all of your attention. Because if you haven't felt weak or weary at some point in 2020, I'm not sure you're being honest with yourself. All of us at some point have been weary of something. All of us at some point have felt weak. And in that environment, James says, let people know. Tell them. Share. 
that you are weak and weary. And in that moment, he shares this, uh, what's often been called the James 5 protocol, for the elders of the church to come and lay hands and anoint with oil and pray over you. And in that context, he says, that's where the power is there. And if your Bible is still open, he says, and the Lord will save. He does not say the Lord will heal. He doesn't say that the Lord will magically take away whatever physical ailment is there. See, in the context of weakness and in the context of weariness, God's saving makes so much more sense. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't heal because I've heard those stories and I've sat across from people giving those testimonies. But what I am saying is that this passage is not merely speaking about people who are sick. It's speaking about all of us. That when we are weak and when we are weary, we need to let the body know and invite them to come and pray with us and support us. And for many of us, that is really hard. Because we don't like to ever admit weakness. We don't like to ever admit weariness. We like to project that we have it all together and to admit something like that feels vulnerable. Let me remind you of something. It's not weakness to admit need and ask for help. It is the path to strength and healing. You say, I I, want to be healed from this weakness and this weariness. I want to be strong in this place where I have only been weak and weary. Okay, your next step is to be honest about where you are and to admit it and ask people for help. Ask them for support. Scripture gives us examples, including Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 and Job in the Old Testament, that God does not always remove the source of the weariness and the source of the weakness, but he does give strength. One of the commentators I read this week, getting ready for this message, said this. He said, prayer may not remove the affliction, but it most certainly can transform it. And so if you're feeling weak or weary today, I want to invite you to pray And let people know about it because prayer can transform the weak. Third reminder, hiding doesn't lead to healing, confession, and prayer do. Hiding doesn't lead to healing, confession, and prayer do. Our memory verse for this week, and the verse is available on our James page, prescottcornerstone.com slash James, is James 5.16, which says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, I grew up reading the New International Version. This is the English Standard Version. And the NIV, that that last part right here, that last sentence, it says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so as a young person, I go, okay, how do I become this righteous person? Because I want to have powerful and effective prayers. But what's interesting is that that verse means so much more when you read it in context. In context, you realize that this power and this prayer is happening in the context of someone who is confessing their sins, who is sharing their struggles that they might experience God's healing power in that place. And for many of us in our life, Outside of the church and in the church, confession isn't the norm. Hiding is. God begins to convict us. Our conscience checks our heart. 
And we go, man, there's this thing in my life that it can't stay. There's this thing in my life that I've been keeping in the dark. And Satan in our heart tells us, hide it, conceal it, don't tell anybody about it, and it will go away and get better. But you know what I know deep down, that nothing gets better in the dark. Everything gets worse in the dark. It's only when it's brought into the light that it can be healed or transformed. And James is telling us, hiding isn't the path to healing. No, confession and prayer are the path to healing. We've said in this series that we want to normalize and universalize the experience of ongoing confession and repentance. We said earlier in this series that if you can't remember the last time you repented, it's been too long. I want to ask you today, when's the last time you confessed a sin to somebody else? When's the last time you shared a place where you were struggling with sin with somebody else? And if you can't remember the last time, I want to encourage you that it's been too long. I feel bad for the people who are closest to me because what's happened every week in this series is that Tuesday, I start writing deeply this sermon. I've been working on it, but Tuesday really starts coming together. And then by Wednesday and Thursday, I'm having all these conversations because before I get up here to preach to you, I got to do business with other people because God's convicting my heart. And I just want to encourage you that I have found healing even in this series, not by hiding, but by confessing. And in that moment where people have loved me, prayed for me, and encouraged me, those prayers are powerful and effective. Those moments have been the beginning of healing. Fourth reminder from James, the power of prayer, it isn't in our ordinary nature but it's in our extraordinary God. The power of your prayer is not about you becoming this extraordinary person. No, the power of our prayer is in our extraordinary God. And here's how James helps us see this. He uses the example of Elijah. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruits. Now, if you were the audience that James wrote this book to, a group of Jewish Christians who had been pushed out of the Jerusalem area into northern Eurasia in Mesopotamia, you would have known who James was talking about in Elijah. Elijah was this hero of the faith. He was a larger-than-life figure in the Old Testament, one of the greatest prophets. And yet, what does James say when he begins this passage? In the New Living Translation, it says, Elijah was as human as we are. We tend, when we read the Bible, to hold up these figures like Elijah and Moses and David and go, man, they're just those amazing people. They must have just been, you know, better people back then than there are now. They're just way up here. No! James says, they're on the same ground as you. You cut them, they bleed the same blood as you. They are just as human, broken, and sinful as you are. So what's the difference? The difference is in the power. And for many of us, our prayers 
are not plugged into the power source that James was. We're praying prayers that are based upon a small view of God. We're praying prayers that that make us comfortable, that, that don't stretch us. And James is plugged in to this extraordinary God. And as a result, he's praying with profound faith and vision, believing that God can accomplish more than he can ask or imagine. And so he's praying this bold prayer that it won't rain for three and a half years. And it doesn't. And then he prays that it will rain. And it does. And James doesn't go, so be like Elijah. No. He says, Elijah was a man like you. What does he say? Pray to the same extraordinary God that Elijah is praying to and pray with the same boldness, the same confidence that Elijah had. It's not about our ordinary nature or Elijah's ordinary nature. It's about our extraordinary God. And many times we underestimate the power of prayer because we underestimate the power of God. And when we begin to recognize the power of God, our prayers change. Here's where James ends his whole book, our fifth reminder. He says, prayer leads us to reach out to those who've wandered in Christ-like love. Prayer leads us to reach out to those who've wandered in Christ-like love. In James 5, 19, here's what James says. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, He says, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. James here is is drawing on a proverb, which many of you know, which says that love covers a multitude of sins. And James says, when you go after somebody who has wandered away, that is an act of profound love because all of us, are prone to wander. One of the hymns I grew up learning in church was this hymn, Come Now Fount. And in that, in, in that hymn, there's a line that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. All of us have struggled at some point or another with either the temptation to or the experience of wandering. All of us have had times where, where we didn't feel as close to God as we once were, or maybe we were wandering away from wholehearted devotion following Him. And in that moment, we have a responsibility to one another to go after and pursue the one who is wandering away. And from the very beginning of the Bible, God makes this very clear that this is our responsibility. If you remember the very beginning of the Bible, there's Adam, there's Eve. They have two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel bring an offering to the Lord. And God honors Abel's offering in a way that he doesn't Cain's. Cain gets angry and he kills his brother Abel. God goes to Cain, already knowing what happened because he's God, And he asks Cain, where is your brother? And Cain utters some famous words in Genesis 4-9. He says, am I my brother's keeper? And from the very beginning of the Bible, we have been saying, I'm not responsible for somebody else. I'm not their keeper. I'm only responsible for me. And that attitude breaks at our unity and our relationship. 
And from the very beginning in Genesis 4 and throughout the Bible, God is clear again and again that we are responsible to one another, that we are responsible to go after the person that has wandered, that we are our brother's keeper, that we aren't so into our responsibilities and our freedom that we forget our responsibility to someone else. And in that moment, when you see somebody wandering away, the invitation is for you to go to them and say, you know what? I love you enough to pursue you into the discomfort. When you pursue somebody who's wandered away, that is a uncomfortable thing. That is a moment of discomfort. And yet, it is an act of profound love. He's not here today. And I didn't ask this permission to share this story. I rarely do this, but this story came to me over the weekend, and it was just too good not to share. I met Jamie Parker four years ago when I came on staff at Cornerstone, and one of the first things I said to our team is I said, I I, I want us to experience mutual accountability. I want to have the freedom to be able to challenge you and confront you, and even though I'm your leader and your pastor, I want you to feel the same freedom towards me. A year later, I had been in Zambia for the summer, and I flew back through New York City. I stopped and saw a friend, spent a day in the city, and flew back home. About a week later, Jamie came into my office, and he closed the door. I was like, okay, this is going to be a serious conversation. And he came in, and he said to me, hey, bro, I love you, and I just had to ask you something. He said, I saw a picture on your social media with a a woman in New York And something just checked in my spirit, and I just wanted to ask you, how's your marriage? And I said, Jamie, that's a great question. I said, let me tell you what was going on in New York. And I talked about who I stopped and saw, somebody who'd been involved in our ministry in Phoenix. I talked about my wife and I having the conversation first before I went, how she knew this person. I talked about the importance of making sure that your your marriage is strong and making sure that you're not developing things that could lead you astray. I said, Jamie, I so appreciate you asking that question. And please, if you ever see something again, ask the same question. It was really uncomfortable for me. It had to be really uncomfortable for Jamie. I mean, like, I'm his boss. (laughs) I could fire him if I, you know, wanted to. But he came in because he loved me and he said, I don't want you to wander. And so because of that, I'm going to get uncomfortable. And friends... I want a heart like that. I want a heart that breaks when I see somebody wandering away. I want a heart that breaks for what breaks the heart of God. And here's my question for you. Do our hearts break for what breaks God's heart? If Jesus is the one who left the 99 to pursue the one who'd wandered, then are our hearts breaking for the wandering one the way that God's heart does? And are we willing to get uncomfortable because we love someone and we see them wandering away and we pursue them in the same way God does? Before we close today, I want to give you some next steps to put this message into action. And I want to give you a heads up that starting next Sunday, we're going to introduce something new here at Cornerstone while we're streaming only. Next Sunday after the message... Uh, We're going to encourage you to not tune out. We're going to go into a time of Q&A, and we're going to give you the opportunity to text in a question about the sermon. So can't do it today. We're not going to start today. We're going to give you a warning. Starting next Sunday, 
if during the message, a question prompts for you, something you want to ask, you'll be able to put it in the chat and we'll give you a number that you can text your question to. And when the message is done, and the same way we would do in our physical lobby, you come by and talk about the message, we're going to do that together and have a great conversation. I'm super excited to add this new component to our experience online. So here's our first step. I want to encourage you to identify one shift you need to make in your prayer practice. What is one shift you need to make in your prayer practice? Okay? One shift that God was convicting your heart of today. This thing's got to change. Okay? Number one. Number two, confess an area of weakness or sin to a Christian friend and pray together and support one another. If you can't remember the last time you confessed something, as I said, it's been too long. So what do you need to confess and who do you need to confess it to? Maybe it's not a sin. It's an area where you feel weak and weary. But confess that and experience the power of our memory verse, James 5, 16. And then number three, pray with power. Pray with power. There are so many things that we can and should be praying for, but it isn't just praying for them. It's praying for them, believing and not underestimating in the power of God, but taking that seriously.